1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 12. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Welcome to our continuing video classes in 1 John, and we are in chapter 5, having just read this passage verses 6 through 12. And I must tell you in the very beginning of this episode that when you compare various English translations of this passage, you may discover significant differences. We need to talk about this briefly, significant differences, but that do not change or alter in any way the overall message of the gospel of Christ. There are differences when you compare translations in 1 John 5, beginning at verse 6, not just in style or word choice. The New American Standard, the New American Standard Updated, and the New International Version have only an abbreviated form of the verse as rendered in the King James and New King James depending upon which editions you have of the New King James. The English Standard Version is what I read. The translation you may have may not look the same. You may be looking at a translation that leaves out some of this. Now, this is what we call a manuscript variation, not a contradiction, a manuscript variation. <clears throat> it involves no doctrinal difficulty. So I'm going to follow the more complete rendering as it appears in the English Standard Version. The issue has to do with verse 7. I should begin at verse 6, but I want to emphasize again, we shouldn't be troubled about manuscript variations or disputed passages, if all of them were removed, if every manuscript variation were taken out, the essential message of the gospel would be intact. So let's go now to verse 6, 1 John chapter 5, verse 6. 
This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. It is helpful when we are looking at a verse that contains some potential for difficulty to begin with what is simple and move from there toward any difficulty. Maybe we would hope away from any difficulty. Jesus came. The Holy Spirit bore witness to the truth about him. Well, that much is simple. Jesus came and the Spirit bore witness to him. It is known the Holy Spirit never bears witness to anything but the truth. However this passage may be rendered, this simple part is clear. John, writing in a time when Jesus' humanity and deity was denied or doubted, the Holy Spirit bore witness of the truth about the person and work of Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit never bears witness to anything but the truth. In delivering the gospel message through the apostles, who confirmed the message with signs and miracles, Jesus Christ is who John has said he is, notwithstanding the volume of any false teachers to the contrary. The difficulty regarding this verse has to do with the part about the water and the blood, or as in the American Standard Version, not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood, similar in the ESV. My present understanding is the reference to the water is an allusion to his baptism, and that of the blood, his death. Now, we know both are true. He came with water at his baptism, Matthew 3, 15. He manifested himself as our sacrifice. He came in that sense in his death, the shedding of his blood, John nineteen thirty four. Now, there is another take on this that is not entirely implausible. I'm just not convinced it is the preferable viewpoint. The alternative, uh, uh, alternative view, alternative I should say, the alternative view is this is a reference to the blood and water which flowed from the side of the Savior on the cross. The history of that claim is true, of course, in John 19.34. However, if the order is taken into account, the order in the history of his death is blood and water. Here the order is water and blood. So it seems to me the emphasis of the writer here in 1 John 5, 6 is the Spirit's witness. The context involves the Spirit's witness that's given for our assurance. And we know at the baptism of Jesus, the Spirit bore witness of his sonship. You read that in Matthew 3, 16 and 17. And in the cross, the Spirit was bearing witness through 
fulfill prophecy and the resurrection. What is without question is Jesus came and the Spirit bore witness to him. Whatever difficulty you may discover in comparing translations, this is without question. Jesus came and the Spirit bore witness to him. Jesus was proclaimed as the Son of God as truly in his death as he was in his baptism. Yet, whatever you associate with the water and the blood, the point of the text is the agreement of all the testimony for our assurance today. I think John is repeating the truth about who Jesus is. He's doing that in several ways as part of his response to false teaching about the person and work of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, these three agree. If you have the New International Version, there may be a footnote saying that there is a question about whether this was in the original document. Same if you have the New American Standard, 1995, a footnote questioning whether this was in the original. Now, I want to emphasize this is rare, and I want to say again, if every disputed passage were removed from the New Testament, the basic message would be intact, unchanged. However, Whatever may be argued about the manuscript variation issue concerning this passage, even without this verse, there is no question about the agreement. The unity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit written in the Word, universal testimony of the Bible. There is no debate or disagreement about what God has done and revealed, whatever difficulty you may find in this section whatever issues may arise about translation differences. Perhaps we should study this in terms of one truth about which there cannot be controversy. Everything, all the history, all the testimony is in agreement. Jesus came in the flesh. We must believe in him to be saved and have spiritual life. We must love God and keep his commandments. This is all the witness of God, not men. I think that has to be John's main point. Everything historical, everything established by the testimony and confirmation of the Holy Spirit through the apostles, that's the witness of God. It all agrees. There is harmony in testimony. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all agree. The water and the blood, that there's witness here that's in agreement. Go ahead and add then verse 8. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. Whether the water is associated with the baptism of Jesus or the wound in his death, the main point remains. Agreement. All the testimony, all the history agrees. The deity of Christ, the lordship of Christ, 
our response to the gospel, what happened on the cross, there's agreement. It all fits together in a unified way. And then we come to verse 9. If we receive the witness of man, <coughs> the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he has testified of his spirit. Well, that's not difficult. If there is difficulty that you see in verses 6 through 8, we move away from any difficulty to clarity with verse 9. This is what is sometimes called an argument from the lesser to the greater, from the human to the man. If we accept what men say upon the presentation of evidence or facts in agreement, how much more should we accept what deity reveals? The evidence, the testimony, all history, everything fits to constitute credible testimony from God about Jesus, the word of life. As Christians, we have committed our lives to a message that is credible. The message is historical fact. It has been confirmed by the events recorded, verified by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit never leads us astray. This is why, as John argued in the previous chapter, we have boldness in the day of judgment. That boldness is based on the truth God has revealed and confirmed. Let's take up 6 through 9. 1 John 5, 6 through 9. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Moving to verse 10, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. The word testimony here refers to the message, the message concerning the Son, about which we have so much evidence. Of the believer, it can be said, not only that he has heard this message, but this witness is in himself. The word lives in the believer. We hear the message. We agree it is true. We believe in Christ, act on that belief, and the witness is in us and abides in us. The one who does not believe God concerning this witness, in essence, charges God with falsehood. I think John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 18, is appropriate here. He that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. 
Verse 11, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. I'll add verse 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is what God has said, and this is what God offers eternal life in his Son. Everything agrees. Everything confirms this. Put it all together, and it's in agreement. That's the point of this passage. <clears throat> the water and the blood, the miracles wrought by the Holy Spirit, the resurrection of Christ, all the witnessing of the apostles, this is what God has said, and this is what the offer is, eternal life in his Son. Now, this discussion always comes up. Let's not back away from it. What is eternal life? And the companion question, when does it begin? Eternal life is fellowship with God now that begins now and never ends even though you die, provided you're faithful to him. I'm going to let you let that sink in, and I'm going to repeat it again slowly. Eternal life is fellowship with God now that begins now and never ends even though you die, provided you are faithful to him. As long as you believe in the name of the Son of God and continue the activity of that belief, you have fellowship with God now and even after you die. If you are united to God by active faith in Christ, you have spiritual life. And as long as the activity of your faith, as long as the activity of your faith in Christ continues, you continue to have that spiritual life even after you die. Isn't that true? The whole passage continues the theme from the previous chapter which is assurance, evidence, testimony, boldness in the day of judgment. The Son of God died and rose again that we might have eternal life and know we have it. This is that boldness in the day of judgment and the removal of fear John wrote about in the previous chapter. And whoever has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. You see what I did there? I combined the New King James with the ESV, but we came out at the same place. ESV, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Uh, that says exactly what we've just been talking about. If you have the Son of God, you have spiritual life. Otherwise, you do not have life with God. And uh, I'll get ahead of myself here. You can add verse 13. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. This is one of those places where John explicitly identifies his purpose in writing the letter. I have written to you who believe. John wrote to believers to provide assurance of their belief, but also to urge believers to continue to be believers, to persevere in the activity of faith, to walk 
in the light. Assurance rests within the heart of the believer in Christ as the believer continues to walk in the light. I think Matthew Henry was right when he wrote about this passage, and he said, Upon all this evidence and these witnesses, maybe I had that in the slide. I did. Matthew Henry, upon all this evidence and these witnesses, it is but just and meet that there should be those who believe on the name of the Son of God. God increased their number. How much testimony from heaven has the world to answer for? And to three witnesses in heaven must the world be accountable. These believers have eternal life. And as the activity of faith is continued, there is this assurance, you have eternal life. Takeaways. In our day, in regard to politics and the pandemic, you can read testimony and opinions that differ widely. In fact, you may not agree today with what you said a week ago. And sometimes what you hear someone say one day, they will change the next day. One of the big problems has been division, disagreement, and in some cases, doubt and dissension. What is this all about? I tell you, the gospel is not that way. The gospel of Christ, objectively considered from history and in Scripture, stands as the most verified message of all time. This really happened, and I think Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, and John in this passage is giving repeated voice to the certainty of the message. Whatever difficulties one might encounter in certain specific phrases or passages and manuscript variations and translations, I'll tell you, here's where you come out. This really happened. The testimony of men, however strong, is not at the level of divine testimony of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we can continue to obey the gospel in our lives, knowing this really happened. Let us be warned, and let us warn others that whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. We do not want to stand before God as an accuser. Unbelief, according to John in verse 10, is to question the faithfulness, the integrity, the honesty of God himself. We don't want to be there. God gave us eternal life. Let's accept that gift through obedience to Christ, and let's thank God for his grace. Next time, 1 John 5. 13 through 20. Thank you.